Hey, let's turn our attention to God's Word. Um, uh, If you have a Bible, hopefully you do, um, I would encourage you to get that out. We are in the book of Acts. Uh, That is, um, should be familiar to you if you've been coming uh, for a while. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, you are jumping in, and uh, that is okay. Um, uh, You, um, we never want to ever communicate that in in doing, you know, series where we're kind of marching through large chunks of Scripture. In this case, we're going through the entire book of Acts that by coming um, late or sort of missing the beginning of it that somehow um, you've, you've missed out entirely. Um, there is so much good stuff ahead of us uh, in this book. And so I just encourage you uh, to continue to come and to continue to be uh, a part of it. Uh, where we're coming to this morning in our series that we're calling Unstoppable uh, is we are in Acts uh, chapter 15. And last week, um, if you were here, we, uh, we talked about sort of this missional movement. It was the first missionary journey of uh, the Apostle Paul. And uh, he was sent out along with Barnabas by the church that is in Antioch. And they went uh, to the Isle of Crete and then up to uh, several cities and towns um, uh, north of there and, and just sort of visited and shared the gospel of Jesus. And in doing so, they were establishing brand new churches. And uh, as he kind of makes his way back through, uh, we left off at the end of um, chapter um, 14 that he was strengthening the churches um, placing elders, appointing elders in every single church, and then committing them to the Lord um, and, and to continue in this work that had begun. And so we see now there are a whole bunch of new churches which have been planted. And then he returns, him and Barnabas returned there to uh, Antioch, the church that had sent them out, and reported back all that God had done. And like, you wouldn't believe it. Like, we went, and God was uh, faithful and working, and now there are all of these new churches and that have received the gospel and are now living out uh, what it means to be a church. They're existing in community together. They're encouraging one another. They're worshiping Jesus uh, together, and uh, they were rejoicing in that. But that was... Um, uh, it wasn't very long until all of a sudden there was some uh, disagreements, uh, some fighting that happened. And uh, again, the Bible never shies away from uh, some of the difficulty that the church faces. And one of the things that we're going to look at today is what happens when uh, difficulty arises within the church. There's disagreement around what to do, and so they lean into it uh, together. Uh, what, what this all kind of boils down to is, um, it says there in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so they were uh, promoting that, that in these Gentiles now, right, not born Jews, they were, uh, many of them Greeks, but other nationalities, whatever, they were not Jewish by birth, they had to also fall under this custom, this law that was given to Moses and then followed through by the whole nation of Israel for generations. And part of that was that all the men needed to be circumcised. I would imagine if that was the, the kind of, you know, tagline that was happening in the church that the uh, sort of new, um, like, you know, we, what we call it step two, uh, where we kind of like welcome new people and try and, you know, connect them to the church, that that was like probably not very visited uh, by, by men. They're kind of like, I don't know about this place, man. We got we to gotta like think about this a little, little bit. And so this was causing some difficulty within the church as they're trying to sort this thing out. And so they uh, discuss it, they debate it, and some decisions are made that they need to uh, sort this thing um, together. Uh, 
Here's what we're going to see this morning as we um, look at the result of this conflict which arose in the church. We're going to see uh, this morning um, what is central, what is core to the gospel, uh, to salvation. And they lean into this problem. This is no small problem. Um, It's not uh, exaggerating to say that had they not got this right, had the church not done what the church did, that we would not be here today. That the very core, the very uh, central message of the gospel was at stake in this debate. What is that? They were adding to the finished and accomplished work of Jesus, saying that faith in Jesus Christ alone was not enough for someone to be saved, but there was also some other steps that one needed to take to be saved. And that itself was voiding, was nulling this message of grace, this, this, this hope that was being given to the world through the church that had been handed down from Jesus that he had accomplished and what he had done, they were trying to add to it. And so it was so important that they got this right. And so here's what I'm calling uh, the, the sermon this morning is that last week was missional movement. This week I'm calling it missional drift. Because what happens is, is so, so oftentimes, which is the case, God does a great work and then we sort of step in and try and like kind of mess things up a little bit. And uh, they were getting comfortable, they were uh, getting more uh, connected, things were sort of starting to kind of move, and there was this drift that was taking place, uh, this sort of um, you know, problem that arose that needed to be dealt with. And what we're going to see this morning, I'm gonna, I'll just kind of give you um, sort of the framework for the outline, I think it's going to help you see it, but we're going to talk through three critical truths, and then we're going to talk about three um, uh, realignments that we need to make as a result of these these truths and what we see happening here uh, in the church. And so um, let me pray and let's uh, walk our way through um, uh, scripture this morning, hear from God together. Would you just join me as I pray uh, for our time in God's word? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life that it brings, God, for the instruction uh, that it uh, directs us in, and God, for um, uh, just your, uh, your perfect wisdom Uh, that is seen in it. And so, Lord, I ask for that now. I ask that you would teach us, um, that you would uh, speak through uh, your word uh, directly to our hearts. God, would we hear from you what we need to hear uh, this morning? And so, uh, God, we just ask you this in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, Amen. All right, let's look at and read uh, the beginning of the passage this morning. We are in Acts, beginning in chapter uh, 15, starting in verse 1. And it says this, uh, but some men came down from Judea, And we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after all, or after this, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Uh, That is the way that that there was a lot of uh, disagreeing and fighting, right? There was um, yelling, probably like raised voices, um, maybe even a little bit of like the pounding on the table, Um, you know, some noise was being made. No small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Um, This isn't a main point of the passage, but I love this little sub-point there. As they're passing through these cities, they're like, hey, hey, you gotta hear what God is doing. 
right? They're sharing the work in the church being established and the way that all these Gentiles and new um, uh, believers have, have been added to the church and, and all the way that God is healing and working and, and just moving in, in the world, really. Um, they're sharing with that. And as they're sharing with the church that, they were encouraged, right? It brought great joy to all the brothers. The whole family of God was rejoicing in that. So even in the midst of this conflict, right, they don't take, they don't miss the opportunity to give praise to God and, 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 and recognize all the ways that he's working. Then in verse four, it says, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Right? They're like, here's what's happened. We've gone to these cities. We went on this missionary journey, and we were sharing, and people are responding. They're putting their faith and trust in Jesus. But then verse five, but some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What's Peter talking about there? You remember it? We studied it just several weeks ago. Uh, he's talking specifically about the conversion of Cornelius and his household and all the Gentiles that were there with him. That's what he's saying. He's like, you remember, you know that God made a choice among you that by my mouth, right, Peter went to Cornelius. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He had this vision uh, from God. He was, uh, God spoke to him, said, hey, you need to go with these men. And so he went, he shared with this Gentile, uh, Cornelius, um, who was sort of, there had been other maybe proselytes, there was others that had been a part of maybe the Jewish um, uh, tradition and, and, and culture, but here was a pure Gentile, uncircumcised, not following the law of Moses, that came to faith in Jesus and responded in all these. And he's like, hey, you, you remember that by my mouth, Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And then verse eight, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. All right, here's the first critical truth that we have to understand about uh, salvation, the gospel. What is at stake here in this, um, in this debate is this. Number one, salvation is through faith alone. Salvation is through faith alone. That is really what is at stake in this debate. It's how does one become saved? How is salvation received? Again, they were saying, the debate was that, that faith in Jesus alone was not enough, but you also had to follow the law of Moses. Particularly, they were kind of zeroing in on this one part of it, uh, that one had to become circumcised. And they went to no small length to address this. I think sometimes we, we read it and we um, fail to put ourselves in the context of what was happening here. I mean, Paul and Barnabas had been going and teaching and planting and starting new churches, right? And so there they are, they're back in Antioch. They're ministering there, they're strengthening the church, they're, they're pouring out into people and this debate arises. So they kind of press pause on all of that. 
Like all the writing that Paul was doing to the churches and as he's writing back and, and encouraging them, all of that, no more journeys, nothing like that. They stopped to debate this and it wasn't solved. It wasn't figured out then. And so he made the journey down to Jerusalem. Well, Antioch to Jerusalem is about 300 miles. And for us, like that's a long, a long road, or like not even a long road trip. That's like a, you know, a pretty easy road trip. Nothing, um, nothing too much, but obviously they didn't have the transportation that we have today. Uh, it would have taken them um, over two weeks to, to travel down and to do that. Um, it's not like, hey, I'm just going to jump on the red eye in the morning and get down there and get back. Um, they, uh, they put a serious investment in that. I mean, we're talking um, what would have amounted to um, at, least, uh, at least a month, if not a couple months, depending on how long they were there in Jerusalem. And so here we have, I mean, they're, 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 they're putting all of this um, energy into addressing this. Why? Well, because this is a critical, critical matter of the gospel. If you miss this point, you miss the whole thing that Jesus came to do. You miss everything that Jesus came for. Why? Well, because scripture is clear time and time again. It shows us and impacts for us in the message of Christ and then what is confirmed in the church and then what we see then illustrated in all of the letters to the churches is this, is that salvation comes only through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way by which anyone is saved. We've looked at this, we've seen this before, but we are reminded of it again here. It is through faith in Jesus. And God in doing that makes no distinction Notice what he says there again in verse eight. He says, God knows the heart, bore witness to them and giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. He made no distinction between them and us. So what that means for us today, it's still the same thing is that we are not saved because of where we are born or the family we are born into or our ethnic background or the color of our skin or our status in society or the proficiency of our work, or our education, or or even our faithfulness to church, or to religious uh, ceremony, or to religious things. None of that, none of that matters. None of that. There's no distinction between any of that. What he's saying is, is that us who were born Jews and who have kept the, the Mosaic covenant, right, this, the law of Moses since birth, are in the same position of needing Jesus and the accomplished work of Jesus in our life as those who were born Gentiles and who are far from God and who uh, have never kept the law of Moses a day in their life. He's like, it doesn't matter. There is one way by which someone is saved and that is through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is why for us, Easter is such a big deal. I hope that you have Easter on your calendar. I hope you have been thinking about, preparing for, getting ready for that. That is coming up in just a few weeks. I know I already mentioned and we talked about the egg hunt that's coming up. Well, that's just a fun way for us to connect to the the community. We're not in any way by doing an egg hunt celebrating anything that day. I mean, we're excited about, you know, just the season and what that means. But on April 15th is Good Friday. We're gonna gather here. We have two services in the evening and we're gonna gather and we're gonna remember and we're gonna reflect on the death of Jesus and what the cross of Jesus means 
and the sacrifice that Jesus did. Because here's the reality of, of Jesus's life is he lived perfectly and was the only one that's ever lived, undeserving of death, yet he was accused, falsely accused, and he was crucified in one of the most brutal, awful ways that someone can be killed through crucifixion. Right? He was hung on the cross on that Good Friday, as we call it today, he gave up his life and was buried in a tomb. Then, on the third day, he rose from the grave, bodily, walked out of that grave. That is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. So April 17th, here in this place, we're gonna have two services again that morning, and we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna rejoice. And I hope that you are planning on being here I hope that you are excited about that day. It is a fun day in the church. Now, we celebrate, we remember, we reflect on the resurrection every single week. I mean, we sang about it this morning, right? But the thing is, is it is central, it is crucial to our salvation. You know, one of the things that's so amazing as you look at and you think about, like, how did, how did these group of, of, of ordinary men and women, right, nothing special about them, how did they begin this worldwide movement, which we are still a part of here today. I mean, they had no education. They had no financial resources. They were, um, had never even traveled outside of their, their home, uh, their, their country. I mean, 50 miles from home is about as far as they, any of them had ever traveled. And here we have them standing up in boldness, declaring these things truth. You know, the reason for that is because they were convinced of the resurrection. They're like, Jesus is alive. He died, we were there when he died, and he is alive. And if he is alive, then everything else changes, right? Nothing is the same. They were convinced of that truth. And so here, what they're doing is they're saying, listen, what Jesus did on the cross was all that needed to be accomplished. He did everything for our salvation. We have been separated from God because of our sin, our shortcoming, and Jesus made a way that we could be forgiven. He took on our sin on himself. Therefore, we have faith in what? We said salvation is through faith alone. We have faith in what Jesus did on our behalf. We have faith in God's kindness and goodness to us in counting his death and his resurrection to our account. We have faith in what Christ did. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. No one here today has achieved their own salvation. If you have been saved, you have been saved through the work of Jesus. Galatians 2.16, Paul was speaking specifically to this very conflict to the church there in Galatia. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not through works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Justification comes through faith. Do you know what justification means? means that someone's declared righteous. Uh, one of the ways I like to think about it is just as if I've never sinned, right? We've been justified, just as if I've never sinned. We've been declared clean, forgiven. Our slate has been wiped clean. That is what has happened in the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. And so our faith is in him. So this is one of the first critical truths that we see here. It says, 
having cleansed their hearts by faith. That is, so salvation comes through faith. Let's look at the next thing here, the second critical truth that we have to understand, number 10, or verse 10, rather. Uh, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Here's the second critical truth that we have to understand that was at stake here is this, is that salvation is by grace alone. It's through faith, but it is by grace. We have faith in what God has done, and it is by God's grace that he has done it for us. Notice what Peter is calling them out on. He says, therefore, why are you putting God to the test He's like, do you not think that the work of Jesus on the cross is enough? That somehow you are going to add to that work, right? That that what your your following of the law is going to somehow get it across the finish line, right? Like like he he got it maybe maybe 90 yards and you're gonna you're gonna go the, the last 10. He's like, you're putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. He's making a point. He's like, listen, how good has the law been for us? Has any of us been able to keep it? He's like, myself included. Like, I get confused. There are 613 commandments in the law of Moses. He's like, I, 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 we have not been able to do it. What has that done for us? Look back on the generation after generation after generation. All it has done is show us our shortcoming to keep the very commandments of Moses. Forget about the 613. Go back to the, the, the 10 commandments. Thou shalt not lie. How are we doing in that? Have we ever lied? Have we ever told an untruth? Have we ever failed to tell the truth? Thou shalt not covet. Have we ever wanted something that wasn't ours? Have we ever done something? Like, I mean, you don't have to get very far down the list of 10 to even say that we haven't kept it. And he's like, look, you're trying to put on something that they have not, that we ourselves have not been able to bear and you're adding it to them. But we believe this, he says, that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Salvation comes by grace alone. It is a gift from God. He's like, us who have been born Jews, how much has the law done for us, these that are born Gentile, is that gonna be what they need? Again, Galatians 2.16, which I read from earlier, it says, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. So it wasn't in keeping the 613 commandments that someone was justified. But it is through faith in Jesus so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus, not by works of the law, because by works no one will be justified. Salvation comes through grace. And the third truth is this, critical truth, write this down. Salvation is available to all who believe. It's available to all. Verse 12, after Peter said this, look what happens. All the assembly fell silent. Like they didn't know what to do with that. They're like, you're right, it's true. And in that silence, Paul and Barnabas share all the things that God had been doing. Right? It says, as they, they, Paul and Barn- Barnabas and Paul, as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles, they listened to all of it. And after they were finished speaking, James steps up. Now, James is the half brother of Jesus, okay? 
um, he steps up, and he, at this point, he was a leader in the church. Um, some people uh, refer to him as the, like, the first bishop of the church. Um, he was leading there in Jerusalem, and so James steps up, and he says this. He says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them, for, 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 to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, and he quotes here, this is mostly from Ezra, but he's quoting the Old Testament. He says, after this, I will return and I will build the tent of David that has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. Okay, the tent of David, he's gonna restore the Jewish people. But look at verse 17, the remnant of my mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. What James is saying here is like, look at, even in the Old Testament, it was clear that God had intended to enlarge the family, right? To bring the Gentiles into this. He's adding to it all the Gentiles who are called by my name. And so here we have that salvation is available to all who would believe. Jew and Gentile alike, it is through faith, by grace, available to all who believe. Now, I do love this, that James steps up and he is, again, a leader in the church. Um, as a bit of a side note, I love the, um, <laughs> the veracity that that brings to the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, was following him as Lord and Savior. Here's what I mean by that. Um, how many of you, raise your hand if you have an older sibling in your life. Older sibling, any of you? Okay. How much would it take to convince you that they are God? Right? You're like, no, no, no. <laughs> I grew up with him. I, I, I know her. Uh, not God right? James grew up in the house and he knows Jesus. He's seen him every day since he was alive. He's his older brother and he is following him as the risen savior, all right? If that's not an added proof to the power and the resurrection, I don't know what is. James here is saying, listen, we know how God has visited the Gentiles. He's brought them in. He has intended to do this from the beginning, and so they are now a part of this family. See, this is a critical truth that we need to understand because I think, I think sometimes we miss some of these things. We forget either that it's through faith, right? Not by what we do. It's by grace. It's a gift from God. And we forget that it is available to any and all who would call on the name of Jesus. But all of these are necessary. Like It is by belief, it is something that we need to um, believe in. And so many times I think we reframe the gospel message as do when really it is done. The gospel is complete in Christ. And so all that we're doing is responding to it. It's nothing, no, no act of our works. Some people are like, well, we still have to do something, don't we? Well, sort of. I mean, we're receiving a gift that's been given out to us. So if you, if you call receiving, believing, doing something, then yes, that, that is, you know, we have to receive it, but he's not gonna, God isn't forcing it upon us. He's not making you respond. He's giving you the opportunity to receive and believe this free gift which has been given. These are the critical truths that were at stake here. And I'm so thankful for the way that the, the church handled it. Bringing together, this is the first of many councils that were gonna happen over the years, right? There have been some, some um, important decisions, some important things that were made together by the church. And I think it's important, it was kind of a bit of a, 
extra point for us this morning is that uh, when the church gathers and, and does this, responds in this way, um, that it is, they are recognizing the truth of uh, what, what the Holy Spirit is leading them in, right? Not deciding it. Because some people are like, well, this is the, who, who decided these things? Like, who picked these books that are in the Bible? Who decided who was going to be these? I think what the church is doing is they're gathering. They're recognizing who has who God picked. Like, what is God saying here? What is, what is he leading us in? That's what they're doing here. And there have been many other councils that have taken place uh, since then, after uh, Scripture was complete and fulfilled. Uh, there's been other important decisions that have been made together by the church as they've gathered together um, my wife and I had the opportunity several years ago to travel. We were back and forth between Greece and Turkey, uh, visiting some of these very places that we're about to come to. Um, I can't wait to the sections that are coming because I've actually been to them in person, seen these cities and these places where Paul had preached the gospel. Um, but as we were going um, on this trip, we were beginning in Istanbul and... Um, and we were sitting there at this lunch. It wasn't even the reason that we were there. We were just having, I forget what, um, what we were eating. But uh, somebody, one of our guides mentioned, she's like, I was like, what's that building over there? And she's like, oh, that's uh, Hage Irene. And um, she's like, that's where um, the second ecumenical council happened. And I'm like, wait, wait, that, like, that's where... That's the Nicene Creed. Like it was, it was finalized right there in that building. And we're just having like lunch next to it. You didn't think to like mention that because it was like a pretty major deal. Like there was some, some major theological truth that was kind of figured out there. And so I sort of announced to everyone around me, hey guys, uh, my sandwich is over. I'm gonna go check out this uh, very important, like this building, which is something so important to happen there in the church. Because as they figured that out, that then rippled out into the way that we uh, kind of view some of this theology and some of the debate and disagreement in these things. Well, what the church was doing here, they were gathering together and they're saying, okay, well, what has God said? Right? They're not deciding. They're not making this, this edict. They're, like, they're recognizing these critical truths that God had revealed in his word. And it was so important for us. But here's the other thing that I think we can walk away from, not just responding and hearing these critical truths, but I think the other thing that we need to see is understand is that um, this helps us in understanding these truths that there maybe is some realignment necessary in our hearts and in here in our church. Because there's some instruction that was then given as a result of these truths to the church. Here's the instruction. Uh, verse 19, uh, this is what James still speaking. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but we should write to them to abstain from all things polluted by idols and from sexual morality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from the ancient generations, Moses has had in every city that those who proclaim him, for it is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. This is the list. So 613 down to this short list here, this is, uh, this is what, um, what they were uh, told to continue to do. Kind of seems, again, in our, our ears, uh, different times, different context, right? Maybe a little bit strange of a list. You're like, oh, I don't know if this would have been the, the, the things that I would have put on, on the list of, 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 of ways that I need to respond here. But this is um, what they needed to do. Uh, and what that meant was, or why this was important, a couple things. Uh, the first, or sort of it's, it's um, kind of put uh, here in the middle, is one of them was to abstain from sexual morality. So in that, this was a prevalent problem uh, just culturally in the world. Like 
Sexual immorality outside of the church, and, and I mean, even within the Jewish culture, it wasn't, um, it wasn't condoned, but uh, just in the culture of the world, it, was, it wasn't looked at as a problem. It wasn't, it wasn't seen as immoral or wrong or, or something that you didn't do. Um, you were pretty flippant with that. And the standard by which um, God had put in place was sex was intended for a marriage covenant between a man and a woman, and this is the place. And so anything outside of that is deemed or sort of put in this place of sexual immorality. And so they're saying, abstain from that. So we have here this moral law, which was still upon them, but then some of the covenantal law uh, was taken away. It says, um, of all these commands, the ones that you need to do are to abstain from food offered to idols, uh, anything that's been strangled, or blood. Well, why that? Why did he add in that? Well, notice verse 21, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. He's saying in all these cities where these churches are being planted, there are Jews meeting together in the synagogue. And what we need to be careful that we're doing is in not keeping this ceremonial law that we're offending all of these Jews who this has become so dear to them and has been a part of their life. So to eat meat that has been strangled, to eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. I mean, there's caution in that anyways, right? Staying away from things that are a part of the, any sort of idolatry or idol practice, but, but anything with blood in it, it would have been offensive to the Jews. And he says, look out for your Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't offend them unnecessarily. Abstain from these things. It's just offensive to them. And so you have here uh, this, this distinction here in this. And so I think here's a couple things that I think for us, we can be realigned in our understanding. Let me give you the first one. Our first realignment is this, our focus on the secondary versus the primary. This for us is a great illustration of how we handle the commands in scripture. Scripture has a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts for us, right? A lot of uh, um, things that we're told to do, a lot of things that we're told not to do. Oftentimes, we see that as restrictive, right? What's God doing? He's trying to take away our fun. What is he, you know, he, he, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. Um, I think a better way to understand every time God says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself, right? The instructions are there for our good and for our benefit. He's not just trying to uh, make it unnecessarily, um, uh, you know, fun for us. But he gave this moral and ceremonial law to his people, and one of the reasons, even this circumcision, was, it was a symbol of being set apart, uh, separated from the, uh, the world around. And so we have here um, this uh, example of, of ceremonial law, yet what happens as they're writing to it, it says, abstain from sexual morality, we have a part of the uh, moral law which was still in place. And so I think what we can understand is that the moral commands that we see anywhere in scripture are still in place for us as believers today. Right, the things that are moral, because God is unchanging and he's called us to righteousness. Now listen, let's be, be clear that we understand this, is that that's not how salvation is achieved, but once you are saved, you should want to, there's a growing desire to live righteously before God, recognizing that our failure to do so does not void the salvation which God has granted, right? But because he's granted salvation, then we want to honor him in the righteousness that we have. But... The ceremonial law for the Gentiles has been removed. It's not required. 
And so maybe you've had this happen where somebody has said, well, you guys in your Bible, all you do is you just pick and choose, you know, what, what people, anyone have that, say, someone say that to you? You're like, you know, well, you wear polyester and you have a cheeseburger and, and you have all these things and so you eat fish and, 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 and shrimp and, and, and this and so, you know, you're not, you're not doing this, so why, why do you do any of that? And sometimes we're like, well, maybe you haven't had a good answer. I just had someone say that to me um, literally uh, like a week and a half ago. I was having a conversation with a man, um, uh, and he um, uh, claimed to be a Christian, but he was really hung up on some of this. And he's like, well, what do we do with this? What do we do with the law? There's all these things. And so it seems like we're picking and choosing what we're doing. And, it's, and here's what we would say to that, is that we listen and we follow all of Scripture. And so if God says it, we do it, right? That settles it. In our house, we, um, we say, if mom and dad says it, we do it, right? Um, here, in our life, right, if God says it, that settles it. There's not much debate after that. But when God then revises or corrects or distinguishes some of these things, well, then we listen to that. And so, yes, there was all this law in Scripture, and so we see the ceremonial law, but clearly right here. So if anyone ever says, well, why do you wear your polyester blend if you are following scripture? It's like, well, Acts 15. Like, it was clear that these were not placed upon Gentile, uh, Gentile believers. This was the ceremonial law for Jewish people, and so that has passed away. It was fulfilled in Christ. We don't need to do it. And then we have many of these moral commands, which were then reissued and re-upped throughout scripture. And so here's our challenge, right? The realignment here. I said we are focused on the secondary versus the primary. In being a church together, we need to be careful that we are emphasizing the things that Scripture emphasizes. The way of salvation. Right? Our, the way that we live together. Our care and love for one another. These theological majors that we see. I mean, Scripture is so, so clear on so many things. Those are the things that we need to choose to focus on. And some more of these secondary issues, which are seemingly gray or uncertain to not then focus upon those things. See, that's what the problem was with the church and what they were doing here. They were choosing to make the law of Moses and the practice of circumcision primary. And they're saying, yes, great, I'm glad that you have put your faith in Christ, but you also need to do these things. And this is, if you're truly saved, you're going to do this. Or if you want to be truly saved, you have to do this. How many times do we do that as well? Well, you gotta dress this way, or you gotta do these things, or you gotta kinda follow this practice, or, or, or engage in this way. Some of those things might be helpful, right? Oftentimes, those aren't even bad things. But if they get elevated to the place of you need to do this in order for God to love you, in order for you to be saved, in order that, that you would be a real Christian, then we're elevating the secondary above the primary and we're missing that which God has called us to focus on. Our focus needs to be on the primary things of scripture, on the gospel truth that is most central and re recognizing that there might be some matters in which we disagree. Uh, number two, second realignment for us is this, our focus on the insiders versus the outsiders. Now, I don't often use this language, but I've heard some other churches use it, and as I was kind of trying to figure out how to best illustrate this, I thought this, this language of insiders versus outsiders is helpful for us. Here's what I mean by this. 
is it is easy for us together as a church to become insular in thinking about those who are already inside the church, part of the church, forgetting about those who might be, or those who are outside of it, right? And so sometimes it's like, it's so easy for churches to just be about what's happening here and, and what's happening in our community and what's God doing in, in, in us and forget or, or not focus on those outside, but what is God's, what is the commandment, the great, um, uh, the great commission to us? It says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. So if, uh, if we are only focused on the insiders, we're gonna miss and forget about the world around us in which we are called to go to. And it is easy, once you are an insider, right, to be a part of this and be kind of committed in about what's happening here. I've seen it happen many, many times. It's like someone comes in and they're excited about what's, what's going on, but then all of a sudden they kind of get connected and part of it and now it's just about this. But there are people joining us each and every weekend who are, it could be somebody's first Sunday. Oftentimes there's, it's rare that we don't have somebody visiting with us or if not multiple people visiting with us on a Sunday. And so to be looking about that, some of you might be your first Sunday here and we're so glad that you're here. We want you here. We want you a part of this. I always love, though, when I can kind of see or recognize the jump when someone considers themselves an outsider and then kind of makes that jump to insider. One of the things that I think is always a giveaway is when I'm talking to them and they say, like, your church, right? It's not my church, but they, you know, they're saying, like, oh, yeah, your church is blah, 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 blah. And, and then sometime, at some point, a switch will be made and they say, our church. And I always love that because it's like, oh, you're an insider now. Like, you, you are a part of this. You see it. And if you're kind of waiting for someone to like stamp your, your little booklet and kind of mark you an insider, if you consider this your church home, you're an insider, okay? There's not like any major hoops you gotta jump with, something like that. You can get more invested and involved here. We have uh, membership um, classes. We have um, you know, other opportunities and things that you can do. But if this is your church home, if you wanna worship with us, if you wanna be a part of this church body, that is a decision that you can make and we would welcome you gladly. All right? So there's not, we, we, we need to be careful though that we don't try and have all of these things that, that makes the difference between an insider and an outsider, right? And so it's so easy to get, lose our focus on that and focus just on the insiders and forget about the outsiders. And let's be clear about it. Our goal is not to become a mile wide and an inch deep, right? It's possible to emphasize both evangelism and discipleship at the same time. We can both share the gospel with the lost who desperately need to hear it, and we can grow in our maturity as we follow Christ. That's what we're doing even today. Some of you, the message, the thing that you need to walk away from this morning is today is the day of salvation. You need to receive the free gift of God's grace for you through Jesus Christ by faith alone. You need to take that step of faith. You need to Believe that God sent his son for you. Christ came for you. He died for you. That's evangelism. We're sharing the hope of the gospel. But discipleship is, is it doesn't just end with knowing that truth. There is so much more to learn and to grow in and to understand about God. Not that you're adding anything to his finished work, but that you're understanding more of who he is and what he would have for you to become. That's discipleship, is helping to learn 
what God has for us and the way that he's growing in us and the way that he's sanctifying and, and working in us. We're doing that together. That, that comes through community. That comes through understanding and teaching and, and studying the word of God. That comes from following the spirit. That comes through prayer. That comes through all these disciplines, these habits, these things that we, we talk about. Those are so good. And we can emphasize both. We need to realign on this. And the third and final realignment is this, is our focus on law versus grace. If we're not careful, we're going to drift back toward law. Some of us maybe grew up in a tradition, it's so prevalent here in this area, in this part of the country, um, where there's a focus on salvation by law, right? The things that you do, your consistency in services, your faithfulness to religious practices, your um, uh, you know, willingness to follow all these things. And, and, and the, the reality is this, is that we need to focus on the grace of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus. The truth of scripture is this, is that we can do nothing to add to what Christ has already accomplished for us. And so, but our hearts, our hearts, they drift back toward law. We think that we can somehow add to what Christ has done, and the truth is that we cannot. He's accomplished everything that we need for salvation. There is not one thing that you can do that would make God love you more than he does right now. Some of you, maybe you just need to hear that. You can't earn any more of God's love. He loves you fully in himself because of who he is and what he has done. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. Some of you are trying to make God love you more. You feel like you need to earn or achieve or to do something. Others of you, maybe the truth you need to hear this morning is this, is that you can't do anything that's gonna make God love you less. Some of you think the things that you're doing are removing the love of God from you. And again, through the finished work of Jesus, he is able to love you in all of the sin and shortcoming and failure that you have, that we all have. We can't do anything that's gonna make God love us less. He loves you fully. You are made by God and made in his image and you are loved by, you are loved by your maker. And we need to focus on the grace of Jesus Christ and less on the law. Be careful that we don't add to it and put all these extra requirements on it because that is exactly what the church was doing and it was in grave danger here. And so look what happens, verse 22. Let's wrap up this passage. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them. And they sent to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, uh, Judas, who is called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. That's a different Judas, right, than the one that was with Jesus. He's no longer there. Uh, with the following letter, the brothers and the apostles and the elders, the, the brothers who are called the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard some of the persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, though we have gave them no instructions, right? It was an unauthorized uh, trip that was made. It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of the mouth. 
For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you do well. You will do well. Farewell. And so they were sent off. They went down to Antioch, having gathered the congregation together. They get all the church together. Hey, come on, we got a letter. We'll tell you what happened. They delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Why do they rejoice? Because they were free. They didn't have to follow the law. The men especially, they're like, yes, praise the Lord. Yeah, (laughs) there was rejoicing in the church that day. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent time with them, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Listen, there was this disagreement, this misunderstanding around what does one need to be saved? And they wanted to make it amply clear. Yes, a saved person does choose to do some things, but there is one way of salvation. It is through the grace and faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And this is how we are saved. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your free gift of salvation that comes through you, Jesus. We want to respond today in rejoicing, God, in joy, in receiving and knowing, God, that you have made a way. Our sin has separated you from, or us from you, but God, you made a way that we might have that restored relationship, God, that we might have our sins forgiven and that we might have life eternal in you. And so God, we thank you, we praise you for that. It is the name of Jesus that we declare here in this place. It is the name of Jesus Christ that our hope and our security and our foundation is. It's not in our name. It's not in our works. It's not in anything that we do. God, we rest solely on your accomplished work. We praise you for this truth. God, we rejoice in this truth. We pray that you would continue to strengthen, to build up your church, that many more would hear, that many more would know that there is a way of salvation, and that way is found in access through Jesus. We praise you. We glorify you in your name. Amen.